this button. Yep. You ready? Yep. Welcome to Go Additive, where your hosts combine their real-world professional 3D printing experience to deliver valuable opinions <laughs> that will help you peer behind the curtain of the additive industry. And now, Go Engineer's own Tyler Reed and Tate Brown. Well, I was waiting for your cue. My cue? Yeah. All right. There it is. What's up? We're coming to you live. Live on the expo floor from AMUG 2021. We're here. We made it. It's the first big event that I feel like I've been to in year, year and a half. Yeah. And there's people around. We're masked up, but uh, it's great. It's great Ma to be masked out. up. Mostly. Yeah. This is a private It's a private event. event. Yeah. You could tell a lot of people are over it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just trying to be safe. You know, we work next to each other, so we're fine. But it's, it's the stranger danger right now. But the energy, the vibe, everyone's really just, I think, happy to be together. Yeah. Seeing old faces, seeing old friends. Absolutely. And for me, being a first timer here, making new friends, mm -hmm. we haven't eaten lunch together, I don't think, this whole time. So yeah. the, the quote unquote networking lunch is a real thing. It, and works. it works. It works. Yeah. For the most part. If you participate. Yeah. Some, some people try not to. I'm making an effort. Yeah. It's important. It's, it's the reason that this show is what it is it's how it built the reputation of being the show for users yeah and if you're hearing the noise right now we've got a lot of cool equipment actually around us right now some of which i had never heard of before we came here i'm sure a lot of it yeah oh well yeah i don't want to flaunt my ignorance <laughs> but uh yeah there are new vendors here that i wasn't familiar with well, I've been learning in these these courses. I don't I don't even know what what would you call them? They're not a course or a class. Breakout sessions? Yeah, these breakout sessions, mm -hmm. but it feels a lot like like a little crash course college curriculum yeah. situation we have going on here. Yeah. It's so fun. We'll have to talk about some of the ones that you've sat in and and uh, what you picked up. Yeah. What I want to talk about first. Well, is there any news? Have we even been, we're, we're disassociated with the real world right now, aren't we? Yeah, we're completely just inside the news, I think. I well, do have one bit of news. Oh, okay. <laughs> so we talk about the YouTube channels a lot. Yeah. Have you ever uh, watched The Vision Miner? No. The Vision Miner, he's a 3D. It sounds fantastic, he's a, a great name. I don't know his actual <laughs> That's his name. handle. That's his, that's, I think his company. It's a 3D printing. It's better than Suckface Tony. Wow, I forgot about that. <laughs> Thank you for bringing that back. Uh, the Vision Miner is a YouTube channel all about printing. I think he sells machines, but he's a very noticeable person and he's here. And uh, it's kind of interesting to see the YouTube personality in action. Tell me this, this is what I always notice, height. He's very tall. 
He's taller he, than, is he taller than you would have imagined? He looks tall and he is tall. But height for sure, there are people who appear tall and I actually think I, celebrities are like this too because they are made to be bigger than real life. And yeah. I think you just associate that with someone who's like 6'2". And you meet them in real life and they're like 5'8". Yeah. 5'7". And which is a normal height, but it makes them feel it's even smaller. It's not normal. Whoa. That's way below average. Whoa. Average is 5'10 here in the States. That can't be true. That's true for a male. It's 5'10". I think it's 5'6 for, for women. Oh, no. Yeah, I'm just saying. I'm not 5'10". So you're saying when people meet you for the first time, they're like, man, he's shorter than I thought he was going to be. Oh, my. I think so. Definitely. You're that guy. Well, oh, man. Here's my bit of news. Okay. Someone recognized us. That did happen. Someone recognized us. So we were at the booth. A guy came up. Hey, I love your guys' podcast. Talk to us about it a little bit. And we ended up actually having a pretty good 15-minute discussion with, with him. And just a really cool fella. Probably can't say too much about him, but a, a very nice gentleman. And I hope, I hope we meet a couple more. But it's a small world. Next year. Yeah. Next year, we will double our number from one to two. To two? Yeah, that's yeah. my goal. Just doubling it every year. Ten listeners to 20. <laughs> listeners that you've met in person. Here's the funny part that you're not going to want to talk about. Okay. What this listener said. Oh. He said, wait. And he didn't know which one of us was which. Yeah. He's like, are you the one that doesn't like Canadians? <laughs> <laughs> That's what he said. I told to you. you not to mess to with you. the Canadians. Yeah, he thought I was the guy. I'm not yeah. the guy. I don't hate Canadians My name either. is Tate Brown, <laughs> and I love Canadians. It's Tyler. Tyler <laughs> is the villain. So there there we go. I needed to clarify that. Also, I thought it was a funny, I embrace. funny little bit that someone would remember. Like, that's the takeaway yeah. from our podcast. That's it, your character that you've <sighs> cultivated. My character is in like <laughs> the character character, like who I am to my core. I don't know. I'm what are you? I'm embracing my villainy. Okay, I'm well. The, the 3D printing villain. <laughs> the Canadian 3D printing, the non, well, let's, let's get this straight here. I will, ha I will say our, our numbers in Canada have dropped. Well. Thanks to you. Their loss. It is their loss. I can, I can admit that. It just means we don't have to talk about Canadian news. We never did. We never would have. I don't want to. Not unless it was 3D printing related. Anyway, so it's great to be here. It's great to be out. I think what we want to do today is maybe just talk about some of the highlights of this event. And I don't know, maybe, maybe the benefit of this event yeah. And how it affects the industry. So this being your first time here, was it what you expected? I didn't know what to expect. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, obviously with the COVID shakeup, everything's been a little different. So I assumed that, that it would be different maybe than normal. Yeah. But I didn't know what the baseline for normal was even going to be. So yeah. this has been, without a doubt, the most fun conference I've been to. So, yes. Yeah, it's enjoyable. And as you start to uh, 
establish more history and more connections in this industry, this show becomes one that has like a lot of side meetings, a lot of which you've room been meetings. in, and uh, it it makes a already long conference. Like we are here from seven a.m. till ten p.m. Mm-hmm. It just takes a day that's already full of stuff and makes it even more uh, crazy. Yeah. It's, I can't wait for that aspect because I won't lie, I, I've, I haven't been a part of any of those yet, but I see like when we run into people, like you've got your old pals in, in all these different companies and it's like, oh, I'm going to get plugged into this yeah. here pretty soon, I hope. And I wouldn't even say I'm that well connected compared to a lot of the people here. Yeah. This industry is, you said it's larger than what you thought, but it's still quite small. Yeah. And that's kind of what I've been learning since I've been here is like this guy right here that's actually walking by right now. Yeah. I was in one of his breakout sessions. Uh huh. And it was one of the most eye opening ones in terms of software kernels mm-hmm. and all the different companies that utilize like one company's oh yeah yeah kernel a and lot of like, the underlying technologies is shared right and so i'm like my mind's blown because i'm like okay a ton of people are using this and not just additive you know there's some simulation companies all that that mm-hmm. are using some of the same stuff and i'm just like holy cow, we're all running off the same stuff. But then you run into guys like we did yesterday at lunch. Um, Well, I just said we didn't. I hear I'm contradicting myself. But I I remember now that we did eat lunch together, but we also ate with this guy who was talking about some of the proprietary software that his company has developed, the IP behind his... He's the CEO of of an additive company. Yeah, that was day one. Was it? Yeah, that was day one. Makes sense why we were together. I yeah. hadn't spread my wings fully yet. <laughs> Plus, uh, we were kind of, day one, lunch was in the expo, and we were kind of walking through the expo together. Yeah. So we were just together. What's your highlight? My highlight so far? Yeah. Ooh. Actually, I sat in on a session uh, put on by a guy named... Matt Donovan. He's a chief additive engineer at Jable. Jable is a contract manufacturer that does something like 27 billion in revenue Holy cow. per year. Huge. They're making a lot of parts for a lot of companies. And he heads up their additive initiatives. Jable's been our customer for many, many years now. We actually have an ex-employee that, that went there to run their lab in San Jose. And so when I saw his name come up as a presenter, I thought, I gotta see this because I knew that someone like him has so much exposure to different technologies, different types of customers, different demands, and I wanted to hear his insights. And he presented on a fairly simple technique that they started incorporating on their metal laser powder bed fusion systems to essentially validate their laser parameters or validate their machine health 
uh, prior to builds. Building, building basically test cubes that came down to a point on the build tray so that you could torque them off. And by measuring that the amount of torque needed oh, wow. to torque it off the build plate, they knew if they were their machine was in good health or not. That's cool. Yeah, it is pretty cool. Simple. It's simple. And what you get to witness is someone kind of just sharing something that in the grand scheme of things is fairly small, but has a large impact on his workflow that he thought was helpful to potentially other users. And then over the course of the next year, the people who saw that will kind of take their own spin on it. And that idea is budding right now. And it, who knows where it will flourish. There's actually talks about incorporating it maybe into an ASTM standard or something like that. We actually get to watch these standards be formulated and refined during the course of the show. I mean, because the people from ASTM who are contributing to the standards are here. Yep. And they're contributing to the discussions. Yep. He was one of the, or he, one of the ASTM guys was in one of the other breakout sessions mm -hmm. that I was in. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it, I wonder how many people here are influencers of the technology. They the majority of the influencers are here, especially in a normal year, right? Because we are at about 50% the size of a normal year. So under a normal year, you would have more people and more influential people. The people who, to use your word, are influencers are part of the AMUG board. They are active in the discussions and that's sort of how they establish themselves as influencers is just submitting ideas for breakout sessions and following through and building connections and things like that. I guess I never realized the power in building these connections. And maybe one of the biggest realizations I've had since I've been here, which hopefully users of this podcast take to heart, is without networking and speaking to people outside of your company, a lot of the work that you do is work that's already been done. Yeah. <laughs> and a networking is a way to recycle someone else's hard work that they're willing to share. Yeah. It's funny because a lot of these people who've developed techniques like that one that you just mentioned, they're willing to share it. Yeah. But this is useful because this becomes a platform for those people. Mm -hmm. If they're willing to share and then you have people that are willing to learn, all of a sudden you have some recycling of work and we can advance at a much faster rate. Yeah. You do have salespeople funneling through here. Well, <laughs> I'm just kidding. But uh, it's primarily users. And so there is this sense of competition and there is this sense of rivalry, but way stronger is the sense of community. And uh, people working together with common goals and also a time period where you can come in and you can have conversations with people who have faced the, some of the same challenges, who have been asked to do some of the same impossible things. 
and uh, you can relate to each other. Yeah, one of the breakout sessions I went to was about composite tooling Uh for impeller manufacturing or propeller manufacturing. And this guy was telling us that he's like, our... The people who do this are very few. And he's like, and we're all getting old. And he's like, the sad part is, in all my years doing this, there aren't that many new members of our group. And I just, it made me sad a little bit. Yeah. Because what he is doing is on the cutting edge of propeller design, you know, or or turbine. Uh, Are they called impellers on a turbine? Are they called vanes? I think you're calling, I think you're talking about impellers. Impellers. Yeah. The vane design, which he's coming up with, these have cores. They have hollow cores, and they use those for cooling. And if you can imagine building a metal vane with a hollow core, that's tough. Right. And qualifying those parts is tougher. Right. And... There's a lot of innovating going that his group is doing that that isn't being shared because no one else cares. Yeah, but that's what's I don't know. It's it's so interesting to me. It's like man, clearly there's a use, mm-hmm. but there's just a lot of things that I'm learning about the industry. It's like man, that we gotta we gotta keep sharing information and do as best we can to just advance as an industry because a lot of the challenges we've had forever a lot of them are we're coming up against right now like manufacturing right like obviously for the dollars involved additive wants to go into broad high production manufacturing and start challenging some traditional methods but there's got to be more to it We've got to advance in other ways. And everyone here, I've noticed a theme is like, we're on the cusp. Yeah. We're on the cusp. Like everybody's trying to break through their individual ceilings, but it seems like those ceilings have been lingering for a minute. There are challenges that we make incremental progress towards. And, but they're big challenges. They're big long-term goals. So if you broke it down into smaller sections, you would notice like a lot of successes. But when you say we want to uh, go into, we want to be a production-capable technology, that's a pretty lofty goal. Or we want to overtake injection molding. That's a really lofty goal. And there's just so many steps to get there. And there has been incremental successes and it will, I think, logarithmically uh, progress. As more people enter this industry and also as you bring more people in from conventional industries and conventional backgrounds, that curve of progress will, will grow logarithmically, I think. I hope so. I hope everybody at some point, like this, here I am being philosophical and just wishing we could all get along, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. but 
I just want world peace. <laughs> I just want I just want everyone here to be on the same team in some way. Yeah. And I guess that's the point of this conference is to kind of bring us all together and and at least get you thinking of that at least once a year. Yeah. Because I'll say my biggest, the thing I'm most impressed with just as of late, and maybe it's because of the release of the Origin machine, but there's other companies out there using the same resins, the same chemistries. I'm most impressed with all the work that's being done. I'll highlight Loctite, Mm -hmm. for example. Um, All the work that they are doing to create usable end-use resins yeah because you know resin-based technology is the only way we're getting resolutions that are similar to uh, injection molding like you brought up earlier so how can we overtake it unless we're producing end-use capable parts and the chemistries of the past the acrylic based chemistries just don't work for many usable applications and the best we can do is mimic you know properties of existing thermoplastics and that sort of thing but now here we are you know I've been learning a lot about the elastomers that are available on these machines so cool because this is making it possible to bridge that gap so I think that definitely is something I don't think about daily Mm -hmm. but having usable parts off a resin-based system, yeah, it's going to be a game changer. I am feeling a surge in momentum for DLP-type systems, and, and I'm excited to get our hands on one. I've been spending most of my time in the metal track, prepping for some of the upcoming stuff we have going on. And uh, one of the themes in the metal track has been designing for inspection and including inspection in your holistic approach to additive and including inspection in cost analysis, cost breakdown. And also at the design phase, like considering how are we going to inspect it? Is there room to make a part more affordably inspectable? Like, can we shave off 10 or 15% of the inspection costs, that sort of thing? Uh, Because this is all part of the conversation of bridging over to production. Right, qualifying a metal part that's been additively manufactured. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was an interesting discussion on datums and how once you get like a 14-inch long part, if you start trying to inspect it with conventional methods, you could actually reach a situation where at 14 inches long, depending on how you choose your first datum, a a single grain of powdered metal, so about 30 microns, 30 to 50 microns, underneath that datum could send it out to where, could send the part out of spec, like 60% of it. 60% of the part? 60% of the part surface out of spec, yeah. Wow pretty wild yeah qualification something that's another theme for sure towards you know mass adoption of additive as a manufacturing method 
for sure. And how do we qualify the parts? I was talking to Kenneth from UL, and he's part of, I mean, he heads the group that is qualifying uh, plastics under the UL uh, listing. And uh, he was saying that in their broad plastics portfolio, they have over 50,000 materials. You want to take a guess how many 3D printed materials? 25? Pretty close. 40. And uh, that's that's a problem. That is a problem. I mean, probably this may have came up came up in some of the sessions that you approached, and that's like trusting part quality, trusting material quality, trusting just the technology in general. That's something we ta- we've talked about. Yeah, that's the biggest thing, especially with aerospace products, any any metal obviously probably every single case has to deal with some sort of qualification off the printer and but no industry more so than aerospace for plastics or metals yeah i gotta highlight one more thing that i learned about yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, composites composite fibers or particles in resin-based technologies okay so one of these breakout sessions I went to was just a really like rapid fire overview yeah. of composites in the industry. Just and he just goes up, 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 starts hitting every use of composites in additive. The one I found most like eye-opening was the orientation of these fibers in resins can be magnetically directed. Yeah. So now you're creating kind of like this grain structure that can make a part electrostatic dissipative or conductive or just stronger in a certain direction or not in one direction but strong in a multitude of directions in a single build putting the strength where exactly it's needed on the part by orienting the fibers in such a way i was just like that's awesome my mind exploded I had a friend who did his PhD at University of Utah, and uh, this was his first foray into 3D printing, and it was on a similar technology, except he was using sound to align fibers in the resin. This is about six or seven years ago. It's incredible. Yeah, at this show, you actually don't get a lot of depth in the breakout sessions like that normally. At least that's my experience. They're a little more high level as opposed to like a, there was a material science conference that I went to. Yeah. And it was all like researchers, national labs, people sharing their research, which that's great, but this is also good too. This is a little bit more inclusive. Yeah. For the most part. Okay, so what has shocked you the most here? What machine, technology, or chemistry Um, has shocked you? Well, what has actually shocked me is what's not here. Okay. Some of the biggest names in the industry are not here. Is there a reason? Have you had any of these side discussions of why? I think it's just COVID related, and uh, them just kind of 
making a guess as to what the the turnout was going to be and totally guessing wrong because it's been an awesome show. Yeah. And well, I know some of these smaller companies have sold machines here. Yeah. To people in attendance. Absolutely. Large it, machines. Big missed opportunity. Uh, take the big names: Stratasys, um, SLM, EOS. Like there's GE, there's a lot of companies that are missing here. Yeah. Which, under normal circumstances, they would have the biggest booths, they would have the most feet coming through, and uh, it's really allowed us to explore some of these smaller vendors and, and get to know uh, their products better. Yeah. For me, it's been a wake-up call. Mm-hmm. It's been a big wake-up call as to the choices out there for everybody. Yeah. Because... The reality is it's it's not maybe it's not always a big name solution that's going to be the right solution. Oftentimes the big name solution is just the easiest one. True. Uh, that's true. Which could play out either way, but if you're application specific, yeah. There e- are a lot of names out there. Easy is important. Yeah. But it's not the only factor in bringing on a technology. Right. So <laughs> I do want to talk about one thing. I actually thought of this yesterday. Okay. When we had talked about one of the breakout sessions you went to that was a material-specific okay. session. Yeah. And it was near and dear to us because we have we, we represent a company, Stratasys, that has a closed material solution on most of their FDM machines. It's yeah. changing now, and it could... The it, MakerBot, I mean, it, the MakerBot retains some of its history of being open, but it also is closed in some ways, too. Yeah. And uh, I don't really expect that to change anytime soon, on broadly, on FDM. But Stratasys is retaining the openness of the Origin, um, the Neo system, so from RPS. So anyway, continue. So I wanted to get your thoughts or your pitch for what are the benefits of going either way? Okay. I think I'm going to throw a guess out there that most listeners of our podcast probably know the benefits of open source. And I think people tend to want that freedom initially. Mm -hmm. What's... What's the benefit? What's like the single biggest benefit of having your materials selected by by the builder of your machines? All right, I will answer that. But I do <laughs> want to say, like, especially people who identify as 3D printing nerds, yeah. like just 3D printing enthusiasts, they tend to fall into one or one or the other category and it's uh, it's just a core value in many ways especially for the people who are drawn to the openness the open platform you know having people any, are passionate about it there's passion behind it for sure and I get it and uh, it comes from you know the, the rep rap era but these people born out of that era should know 3D printing was already able to drive and they were able to gamble. Like 
3D printing was already 20 plus years old by the time of that era. So it's not really the roots of 3D printing from my perspective. And uh, there, are, there are very valid reasons why you would have a closed situation. Uh, some of these technologies are very specialized. So the fact of the matter is some machines, in order to use them correctly for their users to, to have success with them, the vendor has to have control over the material. I would say this is more common with resin materials. And uh, you have to consider, we're talking about the reputation of the machine manufacturer is on the line. Like, the machine manufacturer sells you a machine, and if it doesn't work, for whatever reason, they're gonna get blamed. So I understand why they would want to protect their identity and their reputation. There are other situations where, yeah, third-party materials could work. However, again, going back to the OEM or the hardware vendor wanting to retain responsibility over the success and telling their customer, you buy a machine from us and you buy material from us, we have some level of guarantee of success. And if you don't see success, we will take care of it. You come back to us, explain the situation, we will troubleshoot it with you, and we will get it working, because we're committed to that. And because there is no third party involved, they have to, they can't sh point the finger. Yeah. And for organizations who, whether they buy material at $40 a kilogram or $100 a kilogram, the ROI is there, the value is there in the parts, they're willing to pay the added price on the material side to get the reassurance that the machine's going to work, it's going to be serviceable, I have, a one, I have one person to call uh, when it doesn't. The ROI's there, and uh, it allows the OEM hardware companies to capture some of that revenue and bring it back into the company through R&D. Like, none of these open platform companies would exist without commercial companies paving the way with technology. Just really wouldn't happen. There isn't a single technology that I'm aware of, like a fundamentally new technology that was developed out of like an open source initiative. Not FDM, not SLS, not SLA, not DLP. They all came out in a commercial way first. Because that's, that's it's capitalism. That's what fuels the innovation. What did you say the other day when you were asked about this? I said, it's the only way for the company to uh, take on the burden of success. So you're shifting the burden of success toward the manufacturer of the machine yeah. versus it being on your shoulders. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's elegant. I, I really true. like that. Yeah. It's true. That being said, I have no, I mean, if I were to bring a printer to my house, it would be an open platform system. 
because at my house, I want to experiment. I'm not printing things that, <laughs> like, I'm in hot water if they don't succeed the next day. You know what I mean? Yeah. And maybe I do want to spend a little bit of time tinkering. But a lot of people who are interested in the, the production level systems, they want something that's out of the box, it's going to work. There's markets for each one. They can both coexist. That's the beautiful thing about this space is that there's no one right way to do everything. And we have to be, recognize that there are needs and there's wants that are go in separate directions, but they can coexist. Yeah. Well, I, I thought we should get into that. Maybe this wasn't the right episode for it, but <laughs> I thought we should talk about it because that meeting you were in was pretty impassioned yeah. or, or led by yeah. an impassioned individual. The, and pr- the, <laughs> the presenter was very passionate um, about open platforms and very, uh, very passionately against closed platforms, let's say. Unapologetically against. Yes, yes. And uh, I don't think I need to share more to that story, but there is more to that story. Yeah, there definitely is, which we won't get into, but <laughs> I, I think it's important though to just get users to consider what their purpose is behind the 3D printer. Yeah. Are you trying to be cutting edge in how you print? If that's yeah. the case, you might need the open source platform. Yeah. But if you're trying to be cutting edge with your manufacturing processes or your design processes, and you already know that that you just need the capability of additive, you don't necessarily yeah. want to be tweaking things, coming up with your own recipes, pushing the absolute limit of the machine, then that's where yeah. it pays off. It's like, oh man, I hate to make this. It's a terrible analogy. I, I'm not even going to make it, but there are certain people, well, oh, okay. <laughs> Leasing a car versus buying a car. That's kind of the analogy I'll make. There are many people who lease their vehicles and find value in yeah. constantly having the new machine and capability of yeah. new technology at all times. And they never have a high mileage vehicle. They never get the problems that come with that. A good example of that is my friend who's a real estate agent. His car is his office, and it's also something that he uses to transport his clients and also give off an image of success. He's going to pay a premium to lease his car because it gives him the options that he needs. Is that a bad analogy? Did I make a bad one, or do you think that's good? I can't really connect the dots, but... (laughs) I I don't... Well, yeah, that's the thing. I'm not saying that those types of people are exactly the same. I'm just saying there's a case to be made that's argumentative for either philosophy. So I'll give you an example. One of the vendors here is Exact Metal, and uh, we have a partnership with them. Currently, they have an open platform powder bed system. And uh, looking over the next year or so, I see their plans for expanding their portfolio, and it will remain an open platform system. For their target customer, that's super important. If they came to me and said, hey, you know, we're looking at increasing the capabilities of the system, but we're also gonna gonna close it down. I would say, you can't do that. You've built an identity around being this open platform. You're drawing and marketing towards an audience that wants that. 
On the other end of the spectrum, you have a lot of Velo 3D parts floating around here. And Velo 3D is a closed platform system. For their users and for the target market, that's important. So you can go either way. It's just set the expectation up front and maybe identify as a company you know, what you want to be doing and try your best to stick to that. Yeah. And then you can build up some brand loyalty and you can build up some uh, brand awareness around that. It is, a, it is a core concept, though, in additive, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I, it would be interesting to get some other people's opinions. Uh, obviously, yeah. it's a pretty divisive topic. It but is. I, I want to say one more highlight okay. of this that I, I just it. thought yeah. of. So I like highlights. Quick change of gears. Okay. Large scale additive. Yeah. Like large scale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we just released the F770. Yep. Just what, April 28th, we announced it. It's a big FDM machine, which big to us is 39.4 inches by 24 by 24, mm -hmm. that's big. Is it massive? <laughs> We're talking, well, well, there's massive it yeah. that's here. Yeah. And currently, just to my left, they are building a full-size, full-scale lion. Yeah. In their, their FDM machine. Like something that you would see out, out front of a fancy house. Or a bowling alley. Yeah, the lion. You know sculpture. the lion with the its paw on a ball. Yeah, that's what they're building. Big. They have a big Hulk. I saw a car hood getting rolled around. Right, and that's so. That's not even it. That's not what I'm talking about. So massive it. That's huge. Yeah. I'm talking bigger. What? I went to a breakout session where they're literally, they've got machines. So they talked a little bit about concrete building, and yeah. and we've we've had an episode on that. And it's interesting. The guy's thoughts were, is this, uh, is this relevant? Is this yeah. really a good idea? I don't know. You know, if you have yeah. to frame out the whole inside of your house to drywall it, is it yeah. a cost savings? I don't know. He and had, I think he shared some of the same thoughts that we had. Yeah. And so, but then they went in to talk about these massive thermoplastic extruders we're talking the the roads, the bead widths of their mm -hmm. FDM were nearing an inch wide. Are you talking about the BAM system? Yeah, they mentioned the BAM system, but there's more than that. Yeah. Uh, I will bring some names of these. I took pretty good notes. Uh, but these machines are, some of them are, are carbon fiber added. They have rollers on the print heads that follow the extrusion bead and smash it down into the layer beneath it. And they have a very controlled process of this and they're building like boat holes yeah. in a single print. Like, yeah. and we're not talking a little dinghy, we're talking <laughs> like 20 plus foot boat molds. Like one of the platforms I think was called a, a 2010 and that's 20 feet by 10 feet. Mm -hmm. One of them was twice as large as that. It was a 2040 or something like that, or a 10 by 40. They have these massive additive machines yeah. that are out there. I had no idea. Yeah. And there's people that are legitimately using them. Some of these systems build sideways. Mm -hmm. 
So it's very interesting to, it's been eye-opening for me because it's not just little, my world has been s- expanded. Uh-huh, uh-huh. My little world is, it grew this week. Did you know Stratasys had a machine that built sideways like that? No. Yeah. When? Uh, it's a, de- they call it a, a demonstrator. It was something custom built for Boeing. And it was used, it would actually print onto a conveyor. And that conveyor could go as long as you wanted. So you could do things like uh, wind turbine uh-huh. uh, wings and stuff like that. Like the generators, the wind generator? Yeah. You could do something like that. They never did, but you could do something oh like that. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Uh, you did, I actually didn't see a lot of small scale stuff. I, I saw nothing in the, sh- in the uh, expo floor for nanoscale or small scale. Which we know that's out there. Yeah. But for whatever reason, they're not here. Speaking of the expo floor, I was I was going to mention. So the vision miner guy, I'm going to be on his on his. Uh, I did no, a little, you're I not. did a little cameo. No, you. Yeah, didn't. I did an interview with him. So you're going to be on YouTube. I'm going to be famous on YouTube now. You're already on the Go Engineer channel. So I know, what's but that one more count. channel. I so he, at the end, he's like, "Where can I find more info?" And I was so close to saying, "Go additive podcast." And I wish I would have. I, I've been thinking this trip, maybe next time, we'll bring some Go Additive cards. Yeah. Spread the word. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. Because the more of these people we have involved, I know for sure these, these are opinionative folks. Oh, yeah. So if we can get some more feedback from, from these guys and gals, yeah. I should say, there is only up. Yeah. Up's the only way to go. Um, even if we piss off... 90% of them, that's still 10%. As long as they're of... not Canadian. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I thought DMG Mori's booth was pretty interesting. Some of the DED technologies, I think, interest me. Explain that to me more, the DED. Yeah. It's, uh, you see different variants of it, but think of something like powder bed fusion, but spraying powder and shining a laser in a way that they collide in midair. Oh, wow. Or onto a surface. So instead of powder bed, you have a nozzle shooting power powder and an energy source, laser or e-beam, and they collide and create a shape. So the benefit to that is they're using larger powder particles. Is that um, I don't right? know to that level of detail. I wouldn't be surprised, but you see this a lot in hybrid machines that are doing both machining, machining and printing. And uh, so take, take for example, um, a downhole component, something cylindrical with a, like a spiral, some sort of wheel, comp- like a compressor wheel or something like that. Okay. And it's chipped or it's worn down. Um, In the past, you had technologies like welding or cold spray where you could build up and then machine it back down. Well, they do that and they can do that in a more controlled manner on the machine where there's- So you're saying they can chuck up a a broken component and additively build upon that and machine it. Yep. And you can build parts from scratch too. So 
if you imagine a casting that starts a wide diameter and comes small and has bungs on it, that would typically be a cast part because of the shape of it. You would never machine something like that. But if it's low volume, it makes a lot of sense to just print that and then you can machine it to size at the same time. My, my problem with hybrid machines is that typically when you're asking a machine to do two different things, it never really does one or the other as well as a dedicated machine. And it also eats up a lot of cycle time, right? So if you had two dedicated machines, your throughput would probably be significantly more. But there's another example of a company that's not here, Trump. Normally you would see Trump. Like there's just so many different. There, I had lunch with a representative from Trump. Did you? A salesperson. Yep. Yeah. Laser company. Someone made a good point. In he was from Open Additive. He, I think he was their CTO. And he, we the question there was a question about open or closed loop control in laser powder bed fusion, metal laser powder bed fusion. And he was talking about just the physical limitations of doing that. Like, if you are pulsing a laser at a certain hertz, and you're collecting data at a certain hertz, and you have an F or you have a microcontroller on a certain cycle time, like you can only respond to things so quickly. And it's being and the laser is being guided by a galvo that again, has like hysteresis and it can only respond. There are some serious problems with trying to make all of that work together in a way that's functional. And the point he was making is that even at the high end, these companies are going to third parties and piecing off the shelf components together. No one's developing their own laser for specifically for the technology. They go to YPG or, or somewhere and get an off-the-shelf laser, and they get off-the-shelf gallows, and they do this and they do that. And I thought that was a really good point. And that could be a, a time period where if you had a company that was going to dive into something like that, you might see a step function in uh, improvement, process improvement. If you are designing components specifically for a particular platform, at that level. What do you think? <laughs> what are you laughing? Was he giving the us a funny look? The power of silence. No, mm. I just you, thought you pulled I'd a sit, vacuum on me. I thought I'd sit there and stare at you till uh, you pulled a vacuum you said on something. me. Yeah. <laughs> that that all went way over my head. Really? Yeah. I no, I understand. So you're you're saying that no one designs their componentry specific for additive or, or whichever. They're taking off-the-shelf components and compiling them together to create this this machine. Yeah. So, like, closed-loop control of a melt pool is something that would, would give you better parts. It's, it's, an, it's a fair assumption. Like, if you were able to measure temperature of the melt pool and respond in terms of laser power and scanning speed and stuff like, like that. like TIG welding. With yeah. the foot pedal. It'd be like uh, the best human TIG welder versus Lincoln's robotic TIG welder. That's essentially it. Uh, but even to a greater degree. 
And uh, so we know it's possible. It's just no one's invested in that level of R&D, at least as far as I'm aware of, to make it a reality. And uh, in many cases, it's expensive. In, it's expensive, but also there's not a market for it. People aren't demanding that yet, which is awesome because that is unrealized potential that you actually already know is there. It's just a matter of time before someone needs it. Right now, closed loop control in terms of Melpool is actually shunned by users. Why? So the primary people who would be interested in very uh, well-printed metal parts are aerospace users, a regulated industry that has to qualify processes, and they are very mm, shy of a machine that's going to change the process potentially from part to part to part. Uh-huh. Does that I make see. sense? Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. I, I don't see I I don't it's see an, too much of a challenge with that other than I mean I'll give an example. We had these diamond presses when I worked for Novatech. Yeah. They would sell them. Mm-hmm. Every once in a while, a company would just beg for them. They'd sell them. They'd take them somewhere else, Texas, you know, a, an entirely different area, and the presses didn't work right. They were so sensitive that yeah. any change like that just made them hard to work with. Yeah. So I can see that um, kind of in the same situation. Oh, for sure. I mean, and the... Uh the not so secret secret in metal additive is that all of these metal powder bed fusion systems behave on their own. Like they all have their own personalities. And so even if you take like an M290 and in one facility and you pop one right next to it, you're not gonna use the same build file on each of those machines. And closed loop control actually would allow you to do that. It would be probably the most straightforward and most well-researched way of doing it. Uh, but there are some technical challenges to doing closed-loop control, and because there are technical challenges and because people don't want it, it's not being done. Hmm. I want it. I want it just out of pure engineering uh, experience. Like, I just know closed-loop control is superior than open-loop. Yeah, and it doesn't make sense to me to hold the same process true for every area, for every machine, for every part. It's just like with TIG welding. You can't, you can automate welding, Yeah. right? But wouldn't it be better if it were closed loop? Yeah, I mean, another Would example. Would you care if it, it increased the heat in the right. first inch or, right. or decreased the heat and then cooled it off? So going back to the open platform discussion, having control in many ways is people want, wanting uh, to be able to overcome challenges like this. And I'm willing to bet that if the systems were able to do it on their own, a lot of people would just prefer that. So See, it's, that's actually, well, go ahead and finish your thought. It's not, a, again, it's sort of well known that DLP systems are uh, sensitive to altitude. For example, so you take one system 
and you sell it to someone in Boulder, Colorado, high altitude, you might have some issues. Uh, same with metal powder bed fusion. Yeah. So, <laughs> not to open up a can of worms. Yeah. Because I'm not going to keep going down that road because <laughs> that's worth a discussion. But you got me thinking of this with your last comments is, is perceived challenges versus real challenges mm -hmm. with the open loop system. It's just a lot of people perceive that they're running into a challenge that could be solved with a different material, open source. Yeah. When the reality is, like you said, if I knew it was out there and could just print on something else, I would do it. Yeah. I think most people fall into that camp. But convincing them that their perceived challenge can be solved that easily yeah. can sometimes it, tough. It's very situational. You know, me in the in a professional role, I just want it to work um, because I have better things to spend my time doing. Me at home, I'd be more open to experimenting. But to be honest, I don't want, I don't really want to have to do like a design of experiment and try to figure out what my hot end should be. No, not at all. But no. I would be more accepting of it. Ugh. And part of me kind of wants to experiment with that MakerBot, the Method X, but again, I just don't have time. The only thing that I would want to try is the UltraFuse 316. Yeah. And it's here. Yeah. I saw some parts. Mm -hmm. BASF has a booth, and they're fantastic. Uh, but we, anybody who's been to more than one of these conferences knows that all the parts that are put on the table are usually pretty darn good. Yeah, exactly. They look good. Exactly. You, can't, you can judge what a machine is capable of doing, um, but you can't really judge like what the expected experience is. That's yeah. why you talk to the users. Right. Right? And you just hover around the booths, and if you find someone who's also hovering or seems to know what they're looking at, you can just ask them questions. Um, don't wear your corporate shirt <laughs> if you're hoping to do that. Because I can't, I can't come into a booth here without uh, either one of two questions. What are you looking at? Or when are you going to sell our product? Yeah. They're either skeptical or very welcoming. It does make it a little tougher. I went rogue the other day. Yeah. And wore a different Undercover. shirt. Undercover. Yep. It's a good move. You should. Especially while I'm new, I have to take advantage of yeah. not being recognized. So yeah. it worked out. Well, we've ranted for a good amount of time. Hopefully someone has found some in intriguing information useful here. Ne next week, we should probably do another recap of our experiences after they're fully baked out. And yeah. also we have a time, some time to review a little bit more. Also, I don't know if you're aware, but you can download the slides and I plan on doing that. Can anybody? No. Just us? You have to be registered. So any users of our podcast or listeners of our podcast that are here, that's only useful to them. Well, it's useful to us too, you and yeah. me. Well, why are we talking about it? I'm just talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I will download the slides and hopefully we can present or filter some of that information and deliver yeah. it in our own way. Yeah, I think so. Uh, that's totally fair. Um, take some of that and uh, share it. I think 
there's, it provides a lot of content for the pod. Yeah, I've got a list. I've got a full new list of things to talk about we can spend full episodes on. So Hey, I know why, this... why did we miss last week? I was out of town. <laughs> I, was, I was working out of town, by yeah. the way, just yeah. so everybody knows. I know. And it wasn't so fun. No, you had a bad experience. And uh, we'll try not to do that again, but every once in a while it might happen. Also, in our last podcast, I was, it was pointed out that there was an editing blip where it looked like I cut you off. You, that's normal. You always cut me off. No, like there was, what were we talking about? Um, we were something, something about marketing and it looked, it sounded like you were gonna make a comment about oh, marketing teams or something like that. Yeah. And it, and it goes, oh, Mark. And then it just, I'm talking again. So I think what happened is like, I'll go through and delete some areas of silence. Yeah. And it must have just clipped into it. We don't edit our stuff. I, I if, take, anything, if anything, you, you throw a bleep over it. If it's something I shouldn't have said. a couple times. And uh, if there's more than, I don't know, so many seconds of silence, then I'll take that out. Well, it's sure nice to be here. It's sure nice to be around people again. And I'm pretty grateful for this experience. I encourage anybody who, who has a real interest in the industry, uh, there's an early bird special for this, right? It's, yeah. It makes it significantly cheaper. Yeah. So save your money, come out here next year, and man, my eyes are opened. Cool. And I, I know how little I know now. Yeah. As if I didn't already. <laughs> lot to learn. It's a great show. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to next year. Bring a little more energy, would you? Next week. Okay. <laughs> Take care. See ya.